It is slightly after 11 a.m. on the East Coast. We're starting slightly late. That's my fault. Technology issues. But it is December 16th. I am Guy Adami. I'm here, as always, with Dan Nathan. And this is Market Call. At 11 a.m. every Thursday, we demystify the latest Wall Street research and highlight earnings insight from our main man, JB. Of course, that's John Butters of FactSet. Joining us each week, Carter Braxton Worth from Worth Charting, Liz Young from SoFi. Today's episode of Market Call is brought to you by our three, count them, presenting sponsors, FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. SoFi, get your money right, all in one app. And open exchange, Dan Nathan, because as you know, and everybody knows now, they manage virtual meetings that matter for the top companies around the world. Dan Nathan, how are you? Sorry I'm on the phone. You know, guy, you got me all turned around. I kind of feel like Jay Powell is feeling right now, all turned around about how he's thinking about inflation, how he's thinking about buying bonds each month. You know the drill there. So, uh, you know, you are here with us in voice, which means you are here in spirit. But I miss seeing you, buddy. I am here. You know who else is here? The great Liz Young. And I got to tell you something. She emailed us the other day and she said she thinks she's reached the pinnacle, the zenith of her punnery. Uh, Hello, Liz Young. How are you? Hi. Hi. I'm going to try to do this one with a straight face because I have reached the peak of my puns this week. Peak punnery, as they say. I'll be the judge of that. But let's get into it because, you know, I love the things you do. Listen, two times the taper and a pivot in a pear tree. Did you really, when you wrote that to yourself, did you, did you wince or did you do it knowing that no. you would? What do they call it, Dan, when you tweak somebody? You, you call them tweaking them. Yeah, yeah well, she succeeded in this because this this is peak. I mean, this is just peak wincing for me. But please, Liz, talk to us about this. Yeah, no wincing, just pure laughing out loud. And every time I read it, I still laugh just as hard. I, I crack myself up. Um, all right, so let's just run through quickly what happened yesterday. I'm sure most people are aware, but let's get through it real quick. Fed sped up the taper from 15 billion a month to 30 billion a month. This was no surprise to anyone. This was exactly what everybody had been talking about. It was exactly what the market expected to happen. They also started talking about what would happen or what needed to happen in order for them to raise rates. And I'll get into that with the next pun. Guy, I'll let you do that one, so I'll wait on it. But what they need to do to raise rates and when we might be able to start expecting that. But what we're looking at right now is a Fed that said, you know what, in the meantime, before we raise rates, tapering and speeding up the tapering program should be enough to control inflation. And then the interesting part was yesterday, the market took off. The market decided that this was a great message, that we got a more hawkish message from the Fed, and that we sped up tapering. We had a huge rally across most indices. Tech rallied really big. The curve flattened further right away afterwards, and then it came back a little bit later in the day. But it was a curious reaction in the market. I think what happened was that the market said, okay, we didn't really get surprised. Market hates surprises. I think Jerome Powell knows that. Jerome Powell himself also hates surprises. So he said exactly what we were expecting. Nobody got surprised, and we went on our merry way. That's exactly right. And, you know, on Tuesday night, I think on Fast Money, I actually said to TV's Melissa Lee, I said, look, it's going to be very hard for them to be more hawkish than they've been. So through that lens, you know, I thought the market could actually do okay. Now, I didn't think it would do what it did yesterday, but here we are. Now, the next one, as much as that first um, headline made me wince, 
Frosty the Jobs Man is just, I mean, I know when you wrote that, you were, you were what do they call when you laugh out loud, like lolling or something? Well, yeah, I guarantee LOL. that's what you were doing. Uh, yeah, thank you, Dan. I think I might have I snorted at laughing at that <laughs> <laughs> Okay, <laughs> call it Frosty the Jobs Man because what we heard in the last message from the Fed when Jerome Powell testified was that they stopped looking at the jobs market and they were only looking at inflation. What we heard yesterday was that the jobs market is actually what will decide when they start hiking rates. So Frosty the jobs man back in the picture. We're still looking at the labor market. Here's the rub, though. The labor market is not doing that bad, and we could be in a lot worse position. So the biggest problem right now is that we have all these jobs available and people aren't filling them. It's not that we have a ton more people unemployed. So, of course, there are still more people unemployed, and we've got a labor force participation rate that's lower than it was pre-pandemic, but it's probably not going to get back up to where it was pre-pandemic because everybody retired or started their own business, and they're not being counted in that number anymore. So what we're going to see, I think, in 2022, the first half of 2022, is that the Fed has now projected a 3.5% unemployment rate by the end of next year. I think we get there long before the end of next year. So what's going to happen is the Fed's going to end up in this place where they're going to be told, all right, you're out of excuses. You have to hike rates because everything that you've told us you're watching, now the boxes have been checked. So we're going to finish the taper in March. Then they want there to be a little bit of time in between. The market thinks they're going to hike in May or June. I would say June. Then the next bigger question is, can the market handle rate hikes? What we're expecting right now, what the market is expecting right now, and what the Fed is expecting is three hikes next year, which would keep us still below 1% on the lower bound. I think the market can handle that just fine. But leadership is going to rotate. And actually, what's happening in the market today is exactly what I think should be happening. You've got the Dow up the most. The NASDAQ is down. S&P somewhere in between. Small caps are doing really well. So, that's the pattern that I think actually takes shape in the first half of 2022. And hopefully this time it actually sticks. Yeah. And listen, you, to that end, we have an S&P 500 chart up here. And listen, Frosty thought he could handle being in that greenhouse with the poinsettias and then the door got closed and you saw what happened to him. He melted. The only thing that saved him was Santa Claus sort of swooped in, opened up the door and he got that, you know, the whistling wind brought him back. I don't think Jerome Powell's got that magic act in his in his hat, but I digress a little bit. Listen, the next one, this actually made me laugh because, you know, you're from Wisconsin. I see Hawk. I think of A.J. Hawk, but Hawk the Herald Angels sing. I mean, talk to me about I mean, please, I hope this is peak, by the way, because this one really made me lol. It has. I've outdone myself. So Hawk the Herald Angels sing. One of the things that I think people need to remember is we're talking about rate hikes, but we're talking about them because inflation is high. There is a sweet spot for CPI. I've made many, many charts about this. At some point, maybe I'll share them with other people. <laughs> There's a sweet spot for CPI when it's between one and 3%. This is headline CPI. Between one and 3%, the S&P 500 tends to still rise. So if we can get ourselves closer to that range, I don't think we're going anywhere near 1%, but if we can get into somewhere that has a three handle on it so that the two-year average of CPI is between 1% and 3%, we should be okay. We can't stay at these levels that much longer and the market stay going up. So what I think is very possible to happen, even though we heard a hawkish message, we got a hawkish dot plot, 
what I think could happen in January is we see CPI uh, come down a little bit. So it would have peaked in November. We're going to get the December read in January. If we see CPI relax in that January read, market participants, people around the world are going to say, oh, okay, we hit the peak. Now we're on the other side of it. It's going to continue coming down from here. The market will rally on that news. Well, listen, Liz, that was a great roundup of what went on yesterday. And I think the, the really the surprise was the market action, as you kind of identified there. And then in that last segment, you talk about the rotations that we're likely to see in this sort of environment. You had a great tweet um, this earlier today at Liz Young Strat is your Twitter handle, isn't it? And you had um, a chart up there. You said the market still doubts the Fed's ability to get very far with rate hikes, which I think is really interesting. The blue line shows the market expectation now past one and a half percent by by 2025, 1.5% by 2025. I did something called quote tweeting that tweet. And I gave you a 30-year or 40-year chart of Fed funds rate. And you see where it's topped out at each market cycle. And we're just never going, we are never going back above 2.5%, in my opinion there. You know what I mean? So I think it's interesting your commentary that you have about CPI, where that sort of um, sweet spot is for the stock market. It is different this time. I will say that. And so I like your call about the rotation today. What are we seeing? These mega cap tech stocks, which really did poorly in Q1 of this year when we had expectations for higher rates. Look at the NASDAQ chart that we have, the NASDAQ 100 here. It still trades really well. It is above that breakout level from a couple months ago. So I guess the worry that I have is that the top five or six stocks in the NASDAQ 100 make up about 50% of the weight. We've talked about this, you and I, before on market call, and they make up about 25% of the S&P 500. If you see a rotation out of them, the broad market will go lower. It's just no, I mean, there's just no way that the rotations in energy and industrials and some of these other things can make up for it. Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, it depends on the magnitude. And just real quick, when you look at market expectations of rate hikes, you have to always remember that kryptonite to the market is when the Fed hikes rates above where the 10-year treasury is. So I don't think it's any mistake that the market doesn't think we can get above 1.5 with a treasury that can't get above 1.5. So if the 10-year treasury moves up, I think you see that market expectation for rate hikes also able to move up a little bit. But to your question, look, the magnitude of a drawdown in tech stocks is really what matters. I don't think there's going to be this huge drawdown, especially in those big names, because those big names are still thought of as blue chip stocks in the United States. So is there going to be pain felt in high growth tech stocks? Absolutely. I don't know that I would put those big names into that category exactly. And I think that there are a lot of people that are still going to hold them at market weight it's just that everybody's overweight them right now. So there's going to have to be some selling pressure that comes in. I do happen to think that there is plenty of strength that can be had in some of the other sectors, especially financials, that can still keep the market positive. Another chart that uh, you'll see in my outlook, which will get released next week, is basically what happens to the S&P, the NASDAQ, and the Russell 2000 in different inflationary environments. And spoiler alert, they all still stay positive in low, moderate, and high inflationary environments. It's just the magnitude of how positive each one is. It should come for you eagle-eyed fans of Market Call on Thursdays. It should come as little or no surprise that given the last one, that Hawk the Herald Angels sing, typically there are two cats sitting behind Liz. You'll notice that neither one is there. They pulled the ripcord as well, although I will tell you that I thoroughly enjoyed this note. So I want to thank the great Liz Young from SoFi. Uh, 
Liz, where can we find you? Maybe you share with the viewers your Twitter handle and maybe you share with the viewers um, where we can sort of read your stuff. My Twitter handle is at Liz Young Strat, and you can read my stuff in the SoFi Daily Newsletter, which you can sign up for online on SoFi.com. And you can read it anywhere that I post it on Twitter or on LinkedIn. I post an article every Thursday morning and my 2022 outlook will be out early next week. I will post that on Twitter and LinkedIn as well. I look forward to it. Clearly those two cats that typically sit behind you don't, but Hey, (laughs) as they say, that's what makes markets Liz, Thank you so much. Always a pleasure. Now I'd like to bring in obviously uh, CB Dubs, Carter Braxton Worth. I mean, you have heard all of this, Carter. And I know Dan was sort of, he really, Dan loves all of your work, but this one he found to be very compelling, Carter Braxton Worth. These Russell 3000 stats that you posted. Um, we have, the, we have the, that chart. We have that chart up. We have that slide up. Speak to me, CB Dubs, because this one is great. Well, it speaks to internals uh, in terms of uh, an index can look one way and yet under the surface, right, the parts that compose the whole can look a different way. Now, we know that the index, the Russell 3000, is so uh, top heavy in terms of the big cap weights, it's only down three, four percent from its 52-week high and all-time high. And yet, you can see the stats right here on the screen. Essentially, you're talking about 50% of the stocks are already, quote, in a bear market, having lost 20% from their 52-week high as of yesterday's print. And it goes, uh, you can see it there. I mean, you're talking about a full, almost 20% or down 50%. So the, the, the question is, great, stats are stats. One, how do we make money? Or two, what do, we, what do we take away from that? Meaning the bear has already happened and therefore the opportunity is to go after some of these uh, stocks that are bombed out or that these stocks are a harbinger uh, and are foreshadowing what will happen to the generals, right? And so there's an old time expression, everyone knows it, but just to invoke it again, they shoot the generals last, obviously in a war, the guy up in front with the bayonet gets it first, the general's in the back. If you really lose, the enemy gets all the way to the back and he kills the general. It used to be General Electric, General Mills, General Radio, General Motors. Our generals are not the name generals anymore. It's called Apple and Microsoft and Google and so forth. And so Uh, My own hunch is is that ultimately they will get the generals last and that the divergence between the parts that compose the whole that is the makeup of the Russell 3000 is a generally negative data point, not a data point that suggests, hey, the bear has already happened. Yeah. So, Carter, when I saw this yesterday, I almost fell off my chair because, listen, we've been talking about a lot of this underperformance in a lot of different groups, but you really did a great job of quantifying it, looking at a group of uh, 3,000 stocks here. And it really is astounding. A question I have for you, and Guy and I were talking about this yesterday, you know, there's a lot of these stocks that are down 30, 40% that look like they could get cut in half again. Tell us about that sort of mentality when you're looking into year end. A lot of people who are viewing this are looking for opportunities. They're looking for things that are going to be sold right into year end. And then we go into this new year and they think, oh, well, maybe new investors will find these stories and find value in them. But I look at a Peloton and I look at, you know, a Zoom or something like that. They could go down another 20, 30% round tripping the entire move, you know, since the start of the pandemic. It wouldn't be a thing. Tell us a little bit about that because I remember that in 2002, what it was like or in some of the periods in early 09 when that sort of action was happening. 
That's right. And, and so the question is, one, uh, we know that tax loss selling is a phenomenon. We know year-end behavior is a phenomenon. Um, we know window dressing, for instance. But here's the simple way to handle it. And I, and I think it's the only way. Don't buy stocks in downtrends. It's a good rule. And so we have adages like don't catch the falling knife. I think it's more like catch the falling piano. Now, I myself, every once in a while, will make a recommendation to, that something's so bad it's good. But technique and history are you, why do you have to step in? Let it stop going down for one day or maybe three or enough days where it starts to carve out a little bit of a bottom and flatten. Um, in principle, buying stocks in downtrends is one of the worst things one can do. Well, Bank of America just made our comment. They're going to be the first stock we look at. They initiated coverage on Robin Hood. They gave the stock an underperform rating, $22 per share. I got to tell you something. They might actually be high on that one. The average price target here, Dan Nathan, is $40.67. Now, if you're a fan of CNBC's Fast Money, which airs each night at 5 p.m. on the East Coast, you'll know that since the inception, uh, one of the things that I've said and I've been steadfast about is the only novel thing about Robin Hood is the hair and the name of the company. Outside of that, I don't really know what they're bringing to the table, Dan, but can you speak to this call? Well, I think you're right, Guy. There is a lot of hair on this story, and I do think it's interesting that we're kind of bookending the year. You know, when we started in January 2021, we had this kind of retail phenomenon. It was thought to be like led by these Robin Hood traders, and they were using Reddit, and they had things like Wall Street bets, and they were kind of cheering a lot of stocks on, and that really helped this stock move into its IPO that we saw, you know, mid-year or so. And what also the craze around crypto was also a thing. But there were some of those quarters, Guy, when you and I were looking at it right out of the gate and you were looking at what percentage of their sales were like things like Dogecoin and stuff like that. And we were saying, oh my goodness, this is not a serious financial app. This is a literally a, a mobile social gambling app on your iPhone. And we saw the balances that they had. And as soon as there was this dust up, right, with the with the um, the GameStop sort of stuff, they lost a lot of people. And, and those um, balances that they had were like, I think like low single digits or so. So to me, listen, the only thing I would say about this guy is that here we are, the stock is all the way down here. It's a teenager now and they're getting really bearish. I mean, that is a bearish initiation, you know, and kind of based on what Carter was just saying there, I don't like to press stories like this. So when we were just talking about a Zoom that could get cut in half again, I'm not playing for that. That's not a really great idea. So Carter, speak to us a little bit about this sort of price action. We know that there's just not a lot of history in a Robin Hood right now, but sure. again, is it getting I mean, a little oversold? Yeah, so, the, so the, look, no one has the answer to this, but let's, let's try together right now. Yeah. So what if we said three days ago, today's the day, it's the bottom. Didn't work. How about if we just said it seven, eight, 10 sessions ago, didn't work. Meaning what is different about today than the day before or the day before that? In principle, nothing. One thing to look for, though, and you can see it here on the chart, is a move above a trend line, more often than not, does have inputs. So if and as, we move above the trend line. And now here's interesting. This is the log chart, as opposed to the first one, arithmetic. And this would uh, suggest where it could go, if you will, if we move above the downtrend line on the arithmetic. But in principle, if you're going to do it, go small, small log. Yeah, and so let's let's talk about. We just mentioned GameStop and AMC, and that really got I think a lot of uh, a lot of us Robinhood on the radar here. Um, I wouldn't have thought this company after the kind of brouhaha that they had back in January was able to 
to go public, but they did. And, you know, one of the things that's also surprised me this year, Carter, is the ability for this AMC and the game stock to kind of maintain levels well above where that frenzy was going on earlier in the year. What's your thought if we're thinking about how these stocks may kind of be positioned into the new year here? Because this chart that you have that you brought of AMC is pretty fascinating. Earlier this week, where it stopped almost, as you like to say, to the penny was that breakout level from May, which was also that January um, high here. And I look at those lines that you've drawn. It looks like you seem to think there may be some support just reached and maybe a bounce. Um, but but kind of consolidating in this range. Yeah. So let's go back and forth quickly. We got AMC, let's do GME. Go back and forth. AMC, GME. <laughs> take a look, if we can, at the charts one at a time. Now back and forth, back and forth. There's no difference. That's the point. Okay, here's the other point. Things like this basically get resolved more often than not by going back to where they started, i.e. they end up going back to the pre-moment before the great spasm. So in principle, they're cells. Love your work, CBW. I totally love it. I think, listen, what I find really the most fascinating out of all of this is there's still a faction of people that believe as long as they hold the stock, what do they call them, Dan? I think I lost Dan, but I think they call, I think they call them hodlers or something. Anyway, they feel like they're never going to lose. It, can, it can't go down for much longer. And the next thing we need to look at, folks, is City upgrading UPS, and I apologize for this. I'm having all kinds of issues. Um, analysts upgrades the stock to buy from neutral late to that dance, raise their price target to 250. I think the average price target's either side of 230 dollars here. I've liked UPS for a while. I've also liked FedEx. FedEx has been a tough grind. Uh, but Dan, Nathan, what are your thoughts on this upgrade? Late or are they on? Are they on point here? I don't know. I mean, listen, I feel like that, you know, one of the things pre-pandemic, right, we were kind of ready to write some of these companies off. I mean, FedEx was already down precipitously from their all-time high, right, from the um, pandemic here. So these stocks, you know, at some point, UPS and FedEx, I know Carter's going to take us through the charts here, they had this kind of resurgence, the reliance on these business models. We know that FedEx um, had been through a bunch of different restructurings over the last few years. That was one of the reasons why people like that one. And then I know, Guy, on many occasions, you like the U. UPS on valuation. And, you know, like you like the fact that they were doing some of the things that FedEx needed to pivot to. So I don't, I don't mind this call whatsoever. Um, and I'm curious to see what Carter's take is here on the charts, because listen, again, if you look at those fact set estimates, especially in UP, uh, UPS, you're not looking for gangbusters growth going forward uh, next year. And might they be discounting some of that good news that we've seen how their business models have changed, or at least acceleration of e-commerce and some of the trends that um, happened during the pandemic. Well, I mean, you make the point, these are mature businesses, they don't have a lot of growth and they move with the economy. But I think the setup is more interesting for UPS. So look at this comparative chart, two lines, two colors. We have highly correlated assets that have diverged of late. The blue is UPS, the yellow is FedEx. And so now if we look at the individual charts, you'll see that UPS in principle is setting up for a breakout, whereas FedEx is, is struggling. Textbook, sort of ascending wedge, doesn't matter what you call it. If you have, there's FedEx, back to UPS, which is the better setup? UPS, go with the better setup. Yeah, I agree with that. And that's, 
And I've said for a while that, you know, FedEx on valuation is just too compelling. But, you know, your point, you just look at the charts and charts don't lie. And UPS definitely feels like it's about to break out through that all-time high. So as they say in our world, I guess, Dan Nathan, better late than never. We have liked UPS for a while. I'm glad that basically the city analysts finally got on board. It's going to be fascinating to see, though, at some point if FedEx can play a little catch-up. Next thing we have to take a look at, because we like this thing we call the trade-off. And I love these what it was, it's a, that's a Bitcoin, and the other thing is that Shield from the 300 movie, which was a great movie, by the way. Did you see that movie, Dan? Yeah, I did, Guy Dami. And you know what the thing, I love it, the fact that, you know, we didn't put uh, Bitcoin as a coin because it kind of goes against uh, everything they believe. But I love for years, I think all the media companies, um, when they were like talking about Bitcoin, always had like some gold coin with like a B and the dollar sign thing through it. All right, we got to talk about this because this is one thing that we, you know, retail sentiment has been a big part of the story in 2021 as it relates to the stock market, but it's also been in the crypto market. And what's really interesting about Bitcoin is that's the one that if you pulled 100 people, you know, 99 would probably refer to that one as the GOAT, the OG, whatever you want to call it, Guy Dami. Look at the range that this thing has been in over the course of this year. And it's pretty fascinating because it's down about 30% from those recent um, all-time highs just made a couple months ago. And it's up about 60% from that move where it bottomed out in the summer and it spent some time in and around 30,000. It is almost dead in the middle there. It's sitting on that 200 or it's, it's kind of flirting with that 200-day moving average. And I think as uh, Carter is probably going to weigh in here, it's kind of no man's land. So if we're going to kind of do a little bit of a trade-off here, this is really a hard one. Carter, I'd love to get your take on this because I have a different feeling about Ethereum than I do about the Bitcoin right here. Well, that's right. I mean, in, in the ratio chart, Ethereum's performance relative to Bitcoin is the real story. Ethereum's the, I think in a paired world, the long Bitcoin, the short. But what we do know, there you can see it. One is a better pattern. One is sustained less damage and one is holding trend. The other is not. Yeah, you know, I heard a really interesting, I had a conversation yesterday with Packy McCormick of Not Boring Capital. He's a, what I think, PMAC, as you call him, Guy Dami, I think he's literally one of the top thinkers as it relates to Web3 and crypto. And he writes a great news belt letter, notboring.co. What he said to me, I thought was really interesting because I asked him a question. I said, is this the year 2022 where we finally see the flipping? And there's been a lot of people calling for this, where, where Ethereum will overtake Bitcoin in market cap here. And that's the cool little name that the kids on the internet have for it. But what he said to me was really interesting. He's like, I don't think you want to see that if you're bullish on the space, if you want to see broad participation because Bitcoin was the reason that anyone cares about crypto and blockchain-based technology to begin with, and you don't want to see that crumble. Speak to us real quickly, Carter. You said the relative strength, and you like the setup here in ETH, and I do buy it on pullbacks here, and I really like this name. Um, what does that mean to you? I mean, is this going to continue to outperform if we remain in a kind of a bullish accumulation phase across the entire sector? Well, I, I, there are there are ratios that can be studied in all things. People look at emerging markets versus developed markets. We look at small cap versus large. Uh, one looks at uh, you know sort of industrial commodities versus uh, agricultural commodities. And there are a lot of quants doing a lot of work on this. And this is no different. And so whether it's because it's a smaller market cap or because it's the newer one or the one that wasn't first, do you make the bet that Ethereum uh, has catch up potential? however you want to carry to Bitcoin. And I think you do. 
Love that CBW. And we also, we love, we love Butters. We call him Butters. I call him JB. I mean, the guy is just legendary. We did a great, we did a great thing with FactSet a couple of weeks ago, the 2022 sort of look ahead preview. Butters obviously was on that. Last one of the year for John Butters. We'll see him again in January, but this is a good one, Dan Nathan. One for the road. Earnings insight. Talk to me, my man. Talk to yeah. me. So JB gives us a little preview of his Earnings Insight blog that drops on Friday morning. So thank you for that here. This one's really interesting. He's basically saying calendar year 2021, S&P 500 is projected to report year-over-year earnings growth of 45% and revenue growth of near 16%. If these are the actual growth rates for the year, they will mark a new record high as far as growth. Energy and material sectors are expected to be two of the top three sectors for both earnings and revenue growth. That's great, except it's kind of disappointing to me if I'm thinking about what I see going on as far as earnings expectations right now. Energy and materials make up, I don't know, mid-single digits um, percentage of the S&P 500. But what's going on today as we're speaking? Adobe reported last night. It guided. It was disappointing. The stock is down about 8%. It's down about 17%. I want to get Carter's take on this. 17% from last month's all-time highs. It's still up 16% on the year. Two weeks ago, CRM, Salesforce, reported a disappointing guide. That stock sold off 10% the next day. It is now down 17% from its all time high made last month and curiously also up 16%. Kind of weird, Carter. But my point is, if some of these high valuation names are going to get shot on disappointing guys, what does that make for a 2022 outlook? And are we likely to see multiple compression if expectations for 2022 kind of get talked down as we get into uh, earnings season next month? Well, the stellar uh, growth rates cited right are a function of easy comps. There's yeah. no one around that. So the question is, can you lap that? In principle, no. And multiple, I mean, a market goes up, right? One of two ways. You have earnings growth or you have multiple expansion or, or both. The question is, do we really have robust earnings growth from here? Uh, and do we have multiple expansion from here? Or if we get neither, what happens to the market? Um, it seems there's more risk than reward. Well, I mean, I wish I could say I had earnings expansion in terms of my internet provider, but that ain't happening. And I apologize, everybody, because in a word, I suck. But today is December 16th. We are in peak Sagittarian world. I want to thank our guest, the great Liz Young, and she is great. And she scared those two cats that sit behind her away with that Hawk the Herald Angel sing. And of course, Carter Braxton Worth. If you like the financial data and earnings content shared during the market call, Please subscribe to FactSet's Insight blog at insight.factset.com to access more great content. Today's episode of Market Call, Dan Nathan, was brought to you by our presenting sponsors, and there are three of them. FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. SoFi, get your money right, all in one app. And of course, Dan Nathan, please get ready. Open Exchange, Dan, because they manage virtual meetings that what? That matter for the top companies around the world, Guy Dami. We'll see you next week. It'll be December 23rd. Thanks, Carter. Thanks, Liz. Thanks, Dan. Most of all, thank you. Yeah, I look forward to seeing you next week, Guy. See ya. <laughs>